The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. It is indeed that time again. Welcome back to Afternoons with Mike. Her daily here on The Shepherd. She's been with me before, and I'm so happy to have her back. Marina Hoffman, Dr. Marina Hoffman, is a Bible professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University. She's written an award-winning book called Women in the Bible, Small Group Bible Study. And that's available on Amazon. And uh, she's been with me, like I said, a number of times already. Always brings a very interesting, and uh, this is what I love about it when I talk with you, Marina, always a biblically informed chat. I mean, it's, it's really great to talk to someone that, has studied the way you've studied. Welcome back to my program. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you again. Well, this is really a beautiful thing. I know the the work you do, give us, if you will, Marina, kind of a refresher overview of what you do at Palm Beach. Yes, I teach in the Bible and theology department online and in person. And it's great. I love teaching. I get to teach exactly what I love. And the students are always eager to learn and share your perspective. So it's great. You know, I remember that you came to Palm Beach, uh, not not exactly the most desirable route, let's say. There were some things that happened in your life that were pretty, uh, pretty scary. Uh, why don't, for the sake of those that have not heard your story, uh, give us just a little bit of the, the background of what all went into your coming to Florida. That's right. So I was in a major car wreck just a year and a half before coming to Palm Beach Atlantic. And so when I arrived, I still had many issues of anxiety and depression and a lot to work through. I was still in recovery, but I was also very thankful in that car wreck that I was in. We should have had no chance of surviving, but my husband and I did, even though we were hit at 70 miles an hour while we were going 70 miles an hour. And God just arranged one thing after another that is nothing short really than a miracle. He, My husband, when he felt the brakes disengaged, actually threw his body as best he could with his seatbelt on on top of me on the passenger side. Wow. And in doing so, it was incredible, Mike, because his engine was pushed into his own seat. So no one knew how he had not been crushed to death. It He did get his left hip crushed, but his body was actually in the passenger seat. And that saved my life because I had four internal injuries. I was turning septic. I almost died from them. But if, Mike, if those airbags had gone off and hit me, I would have had no chance. And even if I had moved, I wouldn't have had a chance. So here we get in this car wreck, and I'm out of my mind. I think the car is on fire, and I'm trying to figure out how to take off my seatbelt. The Lord was with me in the sense of incompetence because I could not figure out how to take off my seatbelt. And then someone came from the vehicle in front of us who was a retired firefighter. And he just had a sense of what was wrong with me. So he literally did not let me out of my seat. And against my wishes, he bear hugged me for 48 minutes to my seat until the ambulance arrived. And it's just amazing that all these people, the surgeon had a role. She, they were going to do all these dye tests to me to figure out why I was screaming in pain. 
she looked at me she said this girl's dying her skin is gray already we need to roll her into the OR it doesn't matter if she ate breakfast or not we're opening her up so they did and that saved my life one thing after another but Mike I was left after the physical injuries were healed with you know psychological and emotional trauma that I had to work through you know that's something that is just as debilitating often as what the physical would be and yet you survive the physical uh, in a horrible interstate wreck you know Marina when I think back to what happened to you and the injuries that you uh, encountered in that accident, my son and his wife and four children, uh, maybe not all four of them uh, in this accident, I think there might have been three of them that they had at the time, were in an accident in Texas on an interstate where they were hit with a car going over 70 miles an hour. And miraculously, none of them re- received even a serious injury. And I think, and, and, you know, and uh, you look at what happened to you and you always wonder how in the world would anyone ever make it through an accident like that without having the kind of injuries that you had, your injuries were real. They were, they were significant. Uh, I wondered if you could tell us, you know, we're entering that season right now where so many people, whether they've been in an accident or not, they have those kind of depressions, those kind of anxieties. Uh, I don't know what it is about December, but mental health people will tell you that more people struggle in this month leading up to Christmas than they do at any other time of the year. When you were going through all of that after your physical injuries healed, how did you deal with the day-to-day? You know, in many ways, I felt that I couldn't. In many ways, I had to rely on the Lord every minute of every day. And, you know, people get paid all kinds of money to help people with depression. And there's so many solutions. But thank goodness we have faith because that has proven in every study to be the most powerful factor. And just knowing that we can trust God and that somehow, despite the hardship we're going through and the struggle, God is still in control. And then to have the hope of the promise of God that in time, he brings all things to restoration and he works out terrible situations for our good. You know, in my situation, I felt no hope. I needed 24-7 surveillance and to a great extent, 24-7 care. I couldn't look after myself and now was aware of it, which was probably the hardest part, Mike, because I kept thinking my whole life is devastated. So what? I spent my life getting a PhD. I'll have no future. And so to trust the God that somehow, even though I couldn't see it, my future would be better is such a gift of faith. And then you talk about fear. How do we face our fears? I don't know how people can possibly do it without the strength that comes from the Lord. But every step of the way of recovery, I'm so thankful that I had wisdom from the world. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, I had the Lord. You know, that makes all the difference in the world when you have the Lord and you have the hope that comes along with Jesus. Uh, even dealing with extremely significant injuries, uh, both physically, and then what they did to your emotional well-being, your mental well-being. It creates this thing of depression. Uh, And yet, with all of that, if we can keep our eyes on the Lord, even when we're in the fire or in uh, the the worst part of it, that makes a huge difference. When you talk with people now, I'm sure you have kind of a sense of empathy that you probably didn't have before. Wouldn't that be the case? 
Oh, absolutely. And you know, anyone who's suffered and gone through a hard time and somehow managed to find a sense of redemption and healing and restoration on the other side of things knows what it's like to be in the situation where we were in the valley. And how can we pick people out of the valley um, that they're struggling with unless we've been there ourselves? So that is one beautiful outcome of suffering is that we can truly understand. We can say, you know what? I know a little bit about what you're going through because I've suffered too. And it's a beautiful place to be if we care about others, if we love them, if we want to somehow in this life be Christ's words and hands and actions and love to others, then it almost seems to me, Mike, that it requires suffering. But yet out of that, out of our healing, we share our testimony we share the truth that we've learned of God's faithfulness, and it brings healing to others. No, they're very encouraged, I'm sure, when they hear what you went through, not only what you uh, had to suffer through, but also how you came through it, and even the day-to-day stuff. Because when you're going through what you went through, uh, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong on this, but uh, you have to take it one day at a time, don't you? Absolutely. And sometimes it feels like one minute at a time. I know there were months that went by that every single day I did not want to get out of bed. It was a struggle. And finally, my life began to come back together. But I was absolutely terrified of driving and of being in a car. And I just really felt that something horrible was going to happen again as soon as I would leave my house. So it took great amount of strength. And again, I rely on the Lord to even sit in a car. But in all those things, God is with us. And I'm so thankful that, you know, I I don't tell my students that they need to overcome fear. If we can overcome fear, that's wonderful. But I don't think that's what the Bible calls us to, because many times the Bible says, do not fear. So people were afraid and still in their fear, God called them. So how do we make sense of this all? For me, Mike, the most important thing is that we move forward in faith, whether we have fear or not. And sometimes it's the very fears that we have that push us forward. Mm -hmm. In my case, after months, I began to realize I was dying. And it was not the accident. It was my choice to stay home and to cut myself off from community. So well before everything was COVID, I went through a time of great isolation. And it led to a deeper sense of depression. Of course, having no humans around was not what we're made for. So I began to reach out and build friendships again and leave the house and sit in the car and then start the car in great fear, Mike. I was terrified. But you know what? It was exciting a little bit because every time I did the very thing I was terrified of, I realized it wasn't too bad. And there was a great sense of personal satisfaction and courage that I found when I did something I was terrified of. Now, you mentioned this happened about a a year and a half before you were to begin your uh, tenure at... Uh, Palm Beach. That had to be something else on top of all of the injury, on top of the anxiety, on top of the fear about what's going to happen to you and are you going to ever be able to do this? You had that impending start date. How did that work into the equation? Oh, I was terrified. I practiced and practiced these lectures and tried to get everything perfect. I tried to overcome my stutter by repeating the hard words. You know, And I did my best to fumble through the first two weeks. And we were looking at Genesis and the overall themes of the Bible. And then we came to Exodus. And I thought, this is great. All the wonderful miracles that God did way back, way, way back in history. But I was so convicted. It was like the Lord was saying, you're willing to talk about all the miracles God did in the past. But are you willing to share what God has done in your own life? And I really wasn't. 
I mean, I was trying to hide it fiercely so that no one would know that I did not deserve to be in that position. Mm. And yet here I was, I couldn't resist the Lord. So, you know, thank goodness for people of faith, right? The Lord gets this once, once in a while. So here my heart was just, I've got to share this story. So I left myself five minutes before class ended and I mumbled it out as quickly as could be. And I didn't look up. I just was so afraid to tell these students my struggles, my anxiety, my depression, my just the fact that I was shaking on the inside just to walk into the class and stand in front of them. My goodness, Mike, when I finished the story of all God had done in my life, in just five minutes, I look up, no one is moving. Every single person, the guys included, were crying. I oh. couldn't believe it. The class was in tears. And you know what? A huge group of people came to talk to me afterwards, which I was trying to get out of. But no, for 15 minutes until the next class started, everyone is there sharing their stories. And I was astounded at the impact. So when I opened up my heart to share my story, it opened up a path for them to share as well. And they started to share all these struggles they had going through. Many of them, the same thing as me, many different. And then, you know, we press on and I promise to pray for them. The rest of the semester was amazing. They were so supportive. And instead of being terrified that I'd forget a reference in the Bible, I would just say, oh, what's that reference again? And all the class would turn on their cell phones, check Google and help me out. So it became this beautiful class environment of so much sharing and openness and participation simply because I was willing to open up my heart and share this vulnerable place I was at. And that first year then was even part of your recovery, part of your therapy, it right? It really was. It really was. And, you know, even now sharing this story over and over, I've shared it hundreds of times, really, to many audiences of millions. And every time I do, it's like another layer of healing in me because there's a purpose to what I've done. And I didn't just try to put it all behind me and never think of it again. But every time I share it, there's meaning because other people are encouraged and they're reminded of God's faithfulness. And so many people will write into my website and say that the faithfulness of God in my testimony reminded them of all the, the promises of God they really did believe in at one point. And they started to pray again, and God works in their own life. So it's beautiful how when we share our pain and suffering, we find meaning, and we're able to be instruments of God's healing in the lives of others. And you know, there's something about that that has to be taken into consideration. Not only did it benefit you, and you were the recipient of that whole class's empathy, their, their understanding, the role they played. But I'll guarantee you, there wasn't a one of them whose life wasn't going to be marked markedly different from that day on as they walked forward. So this thing had a, uh, it was like an arrow with a, with a point on both ends. It was, it's going to stick wherever it goes. It's going to take some sort of impact along with it. That's true. And you know, the other wonderful thing I find is that we never know what the end of the story is. And in a sense, it never ends. And God has a couple verses that I really love, Mike. One is how God is, will give us more than we can ask or imagine. And I have to say, I never imagined that I would recover as much as I did. But there's another little verse so obscure. It's in Joel. And you know, all the people are suffering with a locust plague. And it's destroyed everything, right? The crops, the food the wine, everything is a mess. And there's this one verse where Joel says that God will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Mm -hmm, right. And that almost seems impossible. How can God restore years of farmers not having a harvest? 
right? But I think there's a sense in Joel that things are so wonderful in the final chapter that it really undoes the pain. And for believers, we love the verse where God says he'll pour out his spirit on all people. Mm-hmm. And surely the coming of the Holy Spirit just undoes the pain and brings such a sense of life that all the suffering is forgotten in the newness that we can have in Christ Jesus. And that's been the story of my own life, even against all odds, that my husband walked beautifully, and the Lord gave me a baby. And they said that my body had been so banged up, it would be impossible. And they did all these tests, and they were so hopeless. But in that moment of hopelessness, I actually was able to fully surrender to God. And how beautiful that a couple months later, I found out I was pregnant and the absolute joy of my life is my little girl. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't think how lucky I am to have her because it was truly against all odds that God did this miracle in my life. You know, isn't that just like the Lord to prove his faithfulness and to prove his sovereignty too? Because physically speaking, you would not have been a candidate for that pregnancy. And yet God gave you the desire of your heart and proved once again that he is able to do all things and he does all things well. Yeah, you know, I love the story of Hannah, right? She suffers without a child. And then when she does have a child, this promised child that she gives back to the Lord, it's Samuel, who's a huge figure in Bible history. This prophet who leads the people back to the Lord, who's who's a great spiritual leader, who's known for prayer, such a wonderful person. And I can say in my own little way, my daughter, I think because her, before she came into this world, there was so much suffering and so much loss and so much pain. I feel like God has a special hand on her life. And even I see how she, even at the age when she was one and two, would bring healing to others. It was amazing and beyond my imagination. But just the joy and life in her seems to pick everyone up. And I think somehow, Mike, that it's all connected to God truly restoring what was broken in my own life. I love it. Marina Hoffman is my guest. When we come back, Marina, I want to talk with you about uh, today's world that we're living in right now, because this kind of fear, this kind of anxiety, it's being felt by people still all over the globe since 2020. A whole bunch of new ailments, a whole bunch of new things we have to deal with, the COVID fallout, all of that. We'll talk more about that with Marina Hoffman, my guest here on Afternoons with Mike. We'll take a quick break and be right back. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. Call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. On the line with me, a return guest is Marina Hoffman. Dr. Hoffman is a professor at Palm Beach down in West Palm, in uh, the south part of uh, our wonderful free state of Florida, as I like to say, love being here, love having people from PBA. Some of my favorite folks are either attending there or associated as you are with them. Uh, You know, I just love Joe Sharp. Do you know Joe, by the way, up here in Orlando? I do. I think he used to be down here, right? Yeah, yeah. And he still does some things down there, too. Yeah, he's a great guy uh, for for a fact. And so Marina is a, a professor, and she teaches Bible. She teaches theology. Uh, this is such a wonderful university. We've got to hear again about your background and 
just the level of uh, anxiety and fear that was brought on by that horrendous accident that you went through. In 2020, though, every person in the world was hit in a way, in an unexpected way, uh, with something. It wasn't a car accident as yours, but it was this thing called the coronavirus. And man, it, it took our country smack between the eyes and it has left a lot of the com- the country reeling from either what they went through, especially in 2020, uh, and some of that is lingering on uh, in this day in which we're living today. So let's talk about that for just a second. Marina, when you look back at the impact of some of those what some people call draconian lockdowns that happened in our country— where people were just kind of told you can't do this, you can't do that, you must wear a mask, you got to get inoculated with a vaccine that is unproven. Uh, All of these things were coming fast and furious. Plus, add to that, a lot of people lost dear loved ones to the disease that was out there. So all of that's going on in the same time. What do you see happening kind of residual from all of that today? Yes, I think we still have people even here in the free state of Florida who are afraid to emerge very far from their home. They avoid crowds. Some people I know, Mike, they have not returned to church because they don't think it's a wise decision to be in a crowd. People still wearing masks. And I think it's not as common. And it's interesting because people who stay home, unless we remember them as friends and contact them, we may forget about them, right? Who is staying at home and how do we know this? So I think, sadly, there's a whole segment in society still that are being isolated and are hurting, Mm -hmm. but we don't see them. We don't know it. And then there's a whole segment of society, I would say, that has a fear of rejection. And I'll put myself in that boat. You know, I was quick to come out because I was going crazy, house crazy. And I had a little girl, you know, she's one and a half and two, three, four. I cannot keep her in the home. She's extremely extroverted. So I didn't have a choice. I got back in society as soon as we could. But there were people who I know were very, Mike, they were very afraid of things. They were very cautious. They didn't want to hang out with me at all. They were terrified of Little Willow. And I was afraid to enter back into fellowship with them. So, you know, what was it, maybe almost a year ago now, people began to get out. I think by March, a lot of people were returning to society. Everything was open again. And I was so afraid of rejection from them. And I think there's a lot to talk about there because we need to reach these people. We can't stay as a society that is isolated and depressed. We must move on if we're going to live and live the life that we have in Christ, which is a life of freedom. Right. Now, you mentioned earlier in segment one about the isolation that you kind of put yourself in. Of course, yours was not the, the virus. It was from this accident and the the I guess you could say the impact of that accident that left you with so many injuries that you became kind of afraid to get out for that reason. And nevertheless, that isolation is very similar to what a lot of people are encountering yeah. when they when they are afraid to get out because of the virus. So to to yeah. avoid this, how do you how do you think that people can make those first steps when they're so deathly afraid to do so? You know, the first thing, and we we talked about this, this in the first segment, we have to move forward however we feel. We have to move forward to stay isolated, to stay in a state of depression or anger 
all of this is leads to a kind of internal death. And I'm thankful that I saw that before COVID hit, because while I saw everyone else so angry about what was happening and it's terrible, I saw things very differently, Mike. I really saw I'm, I'm the one suffering. It's terrible what's happening, but I'm suffering by my own choices. Mm -hmm. No one is making me stay home. So I was thankful for the insight I had. I was thankful that I had already gone through isolation and I knew it was a slow death. So, but then I still have all these fears, right? I still have anxiety. What I did, Mike, I simply started to call people, even texting. Texting is not a relationship. You know, we need to relegate it to just for business purposes only or whatever. Texting is killing us because it's so empty. And there's no emotion. It's so devoid of humanity. I think we need to be encouraged to pick up the phone and call people again. And Mike, to do the bizarre, which is to invite them to lunch. Mm -hmm. And we need to reach out and say, would you like to be human with me again, to have fellowship, to have community? And we have to admit that we may very well be rejected. They may not want to be with us. And that's fine. It has to be worth the risk. We have to be more afraid of being isolated and alone and to be unhuman than to have the fear of rejection. We need to strive for the full human experience, which is community, which is loving on others, which is giving, which is receiving from others. I love that. You know, we've got to get out of that mindset. We've got to push through. You know, there's a a movie that was out a number of years ago called Face the Giants. And that's really what we need to do. This, This thing is like a giant in our life. It's like what happened when the entire army of Israel, they were frozen in fear when uh, Goliath was taunting them. And here comes David with this youthful little uh, innocence, if you will. And he was able to uh, just look at this thing. Maybe he wasn't the experienced warrior that his brothers and those other bigger, older, more seasoned warriors were. But he had what you're talking about. He had this thing called faith in God. And he was able to face the giant with that trust, with that belief. And he didn't just face the giant. I love this part too. He ran toward him and he attacked him on the offense instead of just waiting on the defense. I I think that's an important point. Oh, it is. It's a powerful story. And, you know, just this morning I was teaching on the three men that served God faithfully during the time of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there's another incredible passage, Mike. You know this. They say, God is going to save us. God Mm -hmm. is going to save us. God is in control. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to obey him and honor him. And what a mindset to have. And I think that's what we need to have. You know, everything's going to be okay if we enter out into society again, if we rebuild community, if we rebuild friendships, if we reach the people that we haven't heard of for two or three years. And if we get rejected, we get rejected but we're going to choose life and we're going to be people who bring life to others. That's so great, Marina. Uh, You know, that whole thing about bringing life to others and modeling that in front of our children. And I know it's really helpful that you've had with all that you've gone on, that you've had your child right there and you've been able to see the impact that your life, your faith, your, uh, I guess, your willingness to face the giants yourself, that has a big, big impact on your child. And I think all of the kids around who are 
uh, either children of our listeners or grandchildren of our listeners, they need to see their moms and dads, their grandparents, they need to see them following this faith-filled journey while they face their giants as well. It helps these little ones to do the same. Oh, I love that you talk about our kids, Mike. I, I so strongly agree with you. How can we expect them to become like Christ if we don't model that before them? And how can we expect them to be leaders if we don't be leaders. And what's a leader? It's not a person who goes with a pack and says, well, I don't want to do this and it's against my will, but I'll just do it anyways because I don't want to upset anyone mm-hmm. or cause people to, you know, judge me. We need to be the leaders, right? The leaders of the pack are the ones that are different and they inspire others to different behavior. And my goodness, there's no greater in- inspiration in my life than my daughter. There's none. I'll tell one little story. I mean, she would, she refused to wear a mask ever or even talk to someone with their mask on. And I can't tell you how many hundreds of times she said that to someone. Well, I can't understand you. If you take off your mask, I'll talk to you. (laughs) And their eyes just light up and then they take off their mask. Everywhere it happened, all over the place. It, It got to the point where we'd walk into the little local thrift store and they would just take off their mask. Hi, Willow. But there's this one place we went to. It was a government building, Mike. And so there's a security officer. I mean, they've got huge guns, guns at that time, which were longer than her body. It was ridiculous. Oh, my God. So here they've got guns. What does she do? She refuses to wear a mask. Well, do you know what she says to me? She says to it to the man, but she's such a little, she's bright. She looks at me and says very loudly, well, that's okay, mom. He won't let me come in without a mask. So I'll just pee right here on the floor. Can you imagine? Well, in a half second, we were both let in. Guns pointed at us and everything else. I thought, God, get me out of here. I think peeing in the bush would have been a lot less stressful. But there we went, everyone staring at us and mumbling, how did these two get in without a mask, right? The city building. But, you know, those moments, Mike, aren't they so inspirational and so human? Right here I am even sharing it. They made an impact on my life, and they inspired me greatly. And I thought, this girl with her encouraged, how many other people around here are inspired by her and who knows what kind of impact it made on everyone watching because oh, everyone yeah, was watching. Yeah. And, and she's not going to forget that either. I mean, that's just, that's an awesome story. And, you know, we've, we've gotten, you know, the Bible talks about us growing, uh, you know, in becoming, ever becoming knowledgeable, yet becoming like fools. And I, you see that today. So often we may attain knowledge or what is said to be knowledge. It's not biblical knowledge. It's earth, earthly knowledge. And in so doing, we are becoming crazy people. There's so much silly stuff that's going on today in the name of caution, in the name of just being careful, in the name of uh, being compliant to the government. Uh, It's shocking. It's shocking. We need to step back and say, you know, our founding fathers, they had to deal with fear. They had to deal with uh, England and the crown and the the threats of of, uh, England coming over, and they stood for liberty. They stood for freedom. We've got to be willing in this country to do what your daughter did and just say, you know, no, we're not going to do that. (laughs) That's a great story. I love it. Oh, Mike, you're exactly right. And I like that you said the phrase, step back. 
because I think we do need to do that. I think sometimes there's so much busyness in our life and so many things to do, half of which we don't need to do. And when we have a spare minute, do we stop and reflect or go for a nature walk without music? No. As soon as we get a minute, it's like social media or another email or another text, right? Everything is so filled. I think we need to step back, like you're saying, and reflect and reflect on what we really, truly believe. What are our values? And again, this comes back to children, right? For me, my number one value is faith. Where is God in this situation and how can we reflect him? And secondly, family. What's the implication of my actions on my daughter? And there was no way that I could live, what, two years or whatever it was with a mask when my daughter was a year and a half. Like she was learning how to talk. Yeah. And so she needed to see her mom's face. And I thought I could get in trouble. Am I willing to go to jail? Well, I don't know what the cost is going to be, but the number one priority in my life is my daughter. And she's very extrovert and highly relational and she needs to see my face. So we make some of these decisions, but you know what? When we, we step back and we reflect on our values, I think life becomes so much easier. If we get turned away, we get turned away. I've been turned away from the dentist Mm -hmm. numerous times. I don't know. Sometimes they take us, sometimes they don't, but we will not wear a mask. And it's easy. We're frustrated with it and it's very stressful, but we have our values, even little Willow. She knows the values I live by and it's just easier to go forward and to have conviction and fearlessness when you really know what it is you're going to stand for. Now, this is your uh, what's going on in you and your family. The, the students that you have there at Palm Beach, what are what's going on with them in their age group? You know, I think one of the things that things that alarms me so much is in the last, I'm going to say three years, because it started when all the protests were happening, especially in Seattle and all that area, the students began to withdraw from wanting to be police officers. And then you had a withdrawal of wanting to do other, you know, um, safety roles, right, in life. All these groups mm-hmm. that were threatened. And then you had the medical situation. People didn't want to become nurses anymore. The stress that they would incur, the demand that they be vaccinated and boosted and who knows what else, right? The unknown that would come. And then finally, Mike, the whole industry of education, that they would have to undergo training that did not reflect their values, teaching that did not reflect their values, and not just didn't reflect it, but they would have to at every turn and force values that they were against their own moral standing. So I've been very concerned about how many students are withdrawing over the last three years from the very essential needs of society and the things that bring us safety, bring us health, bring us education. And I will say at PBA specifically, we have all kinds of students still that are in education and nursing. But my goodness, when we talk about Christian values and ethics, they know what's before them and they think very deeply on, you know, what will they stand for? Mm -hmm. What will they not do? What will they not comply with? And so I think we have a lot less students in these important roles. And yet the students that we have, they are so strong. They are so inspiring. And they're truly people of courage. So I'm hopeful. But I think that it's also a very serious thing what society will look like in even two or three years if the schools are divorced from Christians. Yeah, I, I feel that as well. And when we look at uh, the the impact, there's 
really no way to gauge at all the level of impact that the lockdowns brought uh, that first year of this social distancing where, uh, again, people did have to wear masks. And I know that there's a lot of children that are still struggling from some of these anxieties that you outlined. And we just need a, a real amount of people praying that God's going to help these kids that, that are some of which are, are maybe, uh, you know, almost teens. And now you're right. They're the future leaders of this country. They're the future leaders in our churches. So we need to have some courage. We need to have some resolution. But boy, we need the hand of God touching these kids' lives. That's right. And in addition to what you're saying, you know, pray, pray for them for sure. I think we also need to be bold and at every single turn, talk to people. And I mean, every single age, I see two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, even up to seven and eight. And you say hi to them and they cower and grab their mom's clothes and bury their face in it. And it's very heartbreaking to see a three, four-year-old and six, seven-year-old do these things. You know, that's safe for, you know, one-year-olds or when they're very little. So I think at every turn, we need to model humanness, connectedness, relationships, and even in the smallest way of saying hi to everyone. You buy your groceries, you get your gasoline, wherever you are in society, keep saying hi to people, keep saying how are you, and try to pull these people out of their isolation in a crowd. You know what I mean, Mike? You see it, they're in a crowd, and they're totally isolated. Oh, so good. Dr. Marina Hoffman is my guest. We have one more segment with her coming up. We're going to be talking about her book, and that's uh, part of what we'll be discussing. Much more to come. Stay tuned. We've got a quick break. We'll be right back here on Afternoons with Mike. Turning 65 or already on Medicare? Have you tried to compare Medicare supplement plans? Are you sick and tired of the awful TV commercials where washed-up football players confuse you even more? Speak with a licensed independent insurance agent today. Call 407-965-4166 now or visit Affordable One Insurance in Winter Park, Florida and discuss what is important for you. Be sure to ask us about dedicated senior medical centers. Such a joy to have my guest with me today, Dr. Marina Hoffman from Palm Beach Atlantic University down in West Palm Beach. She's been on my program many times, always bringing a a knowledgeable and I would say really informed opinion on what's going on in the world, whether it is in the world of theology, and that's about what we're going to be talking about, or in the world of practical living, because this uh, this lady has gone through some amazing experiences, some great, some not so great, but God has redeemed them all. That's the beautiful thing. And uh, she is the mom of a, of a beautiful little daughter named Willow, and she and her husband survived a horrendous car wreck, and they are bringing glory to God every day in their lives, and so glad that you could be with us. Ma- Marina, you have written a book It's an award-winning book, by the way. Congratulations on that. It's called Women in the Bible, and it's a Bible study with Christmas coming. Can we talk just a little bit about, I know, who is one of your favorite characters from the Bible, and that's Mary, right? Oh, Mary is such a great character to talk about, and really she fits into so much of what we've been saying over the last hour, and it will surprise listeners a little bit, I think, to view Mary as someone who's gone through hardship and isolation and even trauma with the dramatic change that she encounters in her life. 
You know, she uh, really did. And we saw that depicted. Uh, My wife and I went to a play this past Saturday night. It was outstanding. It was called Christmas Is. And in the second part of that uh, production, they have like this reunion. It's all said, of course, it's all uh, written very well. But it's an imaginary reunion of all of the people that met Jesus or were impacted directly by Jesus in that first century time. And it was set in a time frame of five years after the ascension. So back at the inn in Bethlehem uh, were all of these people for a reunion, one of which was the mother of Jesus, Mary. And we saw the the anxiousness that she'd gone through, the pain, uh, what had to be an unimaginable, like I can't comprehend the kind of just terror had to fill her heart as she watched her son die on that cross. And, you know, when you see it, we read it, it's one thing. But when you see it depicted and then all of a sudden the emotion, that's there. And we remember that this was a, a human lady. Mary was not superwoman. She was a human, just like the rest of us are, watching her son die uh, now, you, Jesus was unique, all right. He was the son of God, yet he was her son. And she had to go through all of the emotion, all of the pain of watching him suffer on the cross. That had to be an amazing sight. Oh, yeah. It's, she lived an incredible life. And you talk about how Jesus impacted her. And I think it's also sometimes surprising to even think of the way that Mary impacted Jesus. Right. And I think if you've been a parent or you're a grandparent or you've seen a child in your life, you realize how incredibly formative the mother is, especially in the ancient world where life revolves around the home. And the mom is the educator above all, above all other roles, no schools like today. So we just think of the role she had in forming Jesus's thoughts and actions. And we see this even played out at his first miracle. I mean, what a story, this miracle at Cana, where Mary asks him to work a miracle, and he says no, and Mary pushes <laughs> for it, and then he does. And I mean, you know, you talk about the divine aspect of it all, and you'll hear people say, oh, it was God's time. Of course, that is all true, but I also love, Mike, the human aspect of it. You know, mother knows best, right, these little <laughs> phrases, and somehow... The Mary actually did know best. She knew who Jesus was. She recognized his calling. She knew what he was able to do. And again, other people will say, oh, he must have done lots of miracles when when Jesus was being raised in the home. Maybe that's possible. We don't know. But Mary knew who he really was. Mary knew his identity, and she pushed him to fulfill it and start his ministry. What a powerful role we see that Mary having in the life of Jesus. You know, when we think about reading the Bible and we see these characters like Mary, uh, and they have an impact on us. There's this thing that as a pastor for years, we called it the spillover effect, that when you're reading something, you know, and you studied theology, you would know all about this, the grammatical historical method of hermeneutics and interpretation. And we know that there were things that were said, the audience, the time, the history, all of that is important. But there's this spillover impact on us reading today. And that that really affects us when we read this in our own daily life. When, when you read about Mary, how does that impact you, Marina? 
well, the part of Mary's life that impacts me the most right out of the context of our lives today is the first opening scene. I mean, here, Mary's young. She's living her life. She has dreams. They include getting married soon. And she has a sense of what her life path will be and what she wants to accomplish. And an angel shows up. This startling moment where this angel appears, a being from God, and tells her that her life is going to take a completely different path than she could ever have imagined. And not only so, but it will come about in the craziest of ways. Who's heard of a child being the son of God? And yet this is going to happen to Mary, within Mary, and what are all the implications of her life? And I, it impacts me, Mike, because I can relate to the fact of a massive change. You said earlier, we, we know where we were when um, COVID all broke out and when the president asked us to stay home for two weeks. And it was totally unexpected and totally shocking. And we had to decide what we're going to do in that moment. So I think we can relate to the change Mary goes. Is she isolated? Well, we don't know, but for some reason, she leaves her family and goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth at the worst time, right? She's pregnant, very hard time to travel. You need others in your life. So there's all these little glimpses we get that Mary's life, because of this angel, faces major change and major struggle. We know she would have been condemned, but the beauty, Mike, that I get it is this. She says yes to the Lord. She says, God's will be done. I will follow the Lord. We see her be obedient and showing God faithfulness. It's just such a beautiful response that I think we can absolutely be inspired by and to reflect such a heart for God ourselves as well. You know, I think about comparing what she was asked by God to do through that angel. You're going to bear a son and he's going to be Jesus. I think about what must have gone on when she were was weighing out those words. When we compare that to when the Lord is leading us to do something, we can be inspired by her life. I don't think you have to be a woman to be inspired by Mary. I think everybody can be, men as well, because she was committed to do what God called her to do, wasn't she? Oh, yes, committed from the beginning to the end. And, you know, her whole life embodied the call. She became the mother of Jesus, and that's the role she took on for the rest of her life. And we taught, you talked about the fact that she loses her son and all the sorrow. So what does she do after she loses her son? Her son comes back and then ascends to heaven, and she's lost him the second time. So what does Mary do? Is her life over? Does she renew her original dreams? Does she change her course? No. We find Mary in the upper room. And how inspiring is that? That when all is said and done, and she could have walked away, she fulfilled her role as the mother of Jesus. Here she is, waiting for the Holy Spirit, willing and ready to continue on the ministry of Jesus by bringing his message of salvation to the world, and really to be a forerunner establishing the early church. That's so well said, Marina. I'm sure your students down there are loving the way you break all of this open. And not only do I love the way that you know the word, but your ability to kind of tie that those experiences from Mary uh, in your in, in your studies of Mary to what's happened not only in today's world, but in your life in particular and in your family. Oh, I, I think that's just so inspiring. Thank you for doing that. That's just amazing. When you look at uh, the, the subject of uh, what Mary did when she sees 
the the suffering of Jesus, and then she balances that to what she knows is his call. There's a real connection between the calling and the suffering. Explain some of that. Yes, you know, we can talk about our own lives. We can certainly look at Mary. Is there any difference between the calling of Mary and the suffering of Mary? In so many ways, they're one and the same. The calling to be the mother of Jesus was one and the same as the calling to suffer alongside of all the ways he would suffer as the beloved of Mary. And then as you talked about, to see Jesus on the cross and to have her heart torn in two at that moment. And how often does the calling of God mean suffering? Well, Mike, perhaps every call of God that is significant is one that involves suffering. Mm -hmm. What does God call us to? God calls us to bear Christ, right? Mary bears Christ, we bear Christ. So what does it mean to stand up for our values and to reflect Christ in our lives? Of course, in this world, we will have people that oppose us that are hostile toward us, that judge us, that want nothing to do with us. But to go through that suffering and to embrace it and to acknowledge it and to know it's coming and still move forward, won't we say that that's what it means to fulfill our calling in Jesus? So it's a beautiful thing in many ways that calling and suffering are one because then we know that we are embracing the fullest sense of God's calling on our life. Mm. Christ suffered. How do we become one with him unless we're willing also to suffer as we bring the words of Christ, the salvation of Christ, the ministry of Christ to others? And you know, that suffering has been promised to us by the Lord. We shouldn't be surprised. You know, he even said in his word, he said, don't be surprised when the fiery darts of life come upon you. Uh, we're, we were going to identify with suffering the way he did. We all have our own individual crosses, if you will, to bear. What advice do you have today for people? We've got just a couple of minutes left. For people who are going through suffering today, maybe theirs would be physical, like what happened to you. Or maybe it's uh, the pain of seeing a wayward a child, or maybe uh, they've just been told by their spouse that their spouse wants a divorce. This kind of suffering and pain, uh, unfortunately, it's happening all around us. What advice do you have? I think the most important aspect above all is to choose to stay faithful to Christ, no matter what, and to hold on to the promises of God. We've all we've all had moments where we didn't necessarily feel our faith, but we chose to believe the promises of God. And that's really the essence of what it means to be a person of faith. And I think within the sphere of, of holding on to God and holding on to his promises, to rely on God for an approach and an attitude that is life-giving, because suffering will happen. And I think that some of the oldest phrases we know, right? Be thankful in all things mm -hmm. and to turn to God for joy. Those are the things that bring us life. And troubles come and suffering comes. We can say what matters most. What do we have in our life from God? For me, that's very simple. My husband and my daughter, and I'm thankful for them. And with them, I feel like I can take on the world. But sometimes I can forget that, Mike, when I have troubles at work or business, I can forget what matters the most. So what are the blessings that God has given us? And can we keep returning to that with thankfulness and joy and then to choose to trust God with everything else? That's well said. Dr. Marina Hoffman, give us your uh, book title, how people can get it. And then, if you will, give us your web address, how people can get in touch with you. 
That's right. My book is Women in the Bible, Small Group Bible Study. It's eight studies that look at about 12 of the females in the Bible and how we can relate to them, just like we're looking at the life of Mary and how rich a model she is for us today. There's a free video series on my website, womeninthebible.info, and the book is on Amazon. It's, I think, $14. And please, if you're going to get my book, please consider inviting a friend to do it with you. Because what an anecdote to all the troubles of the world to study God's Word in community. That's beautiful. Dr. Marina Hoffman, thank you for being with us. Uh, She's a professor at Palm Beach. Be sure and check that website out. Get her book and you'll be blessed. Until the next time we talk, my friend, thanks for calling in and being with us today on my program. Thank you and God bless to all our listeners today. All right, and friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.